Hey, Prime members, you can listen to the CBS News Roundup ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the app today. This spring, if you'd rather spend time enjoying your lawn instead of trying to keep it alive, there's good news. True Green is the easiest and most affordable way to get a beautiful lawn. All you have to do is water and mow, and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and even some things you might not even think of. They'll do all of it, while you can do literally anything else. With True Green, you can have your lawn looking as good as a putting green. That's not hyperbole. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. True Green offers a satisfaction guarantee, and they have a verified best price promise, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people guaranteed. This is the CBS News Weekend Roundup. Coming up. We're facing an inflection point in history. President Biden addresses the nation. We cannot and will not let terrorists like Hamas and tyrants like Putin win. Plus, warnings of potential threats in the U.S. Physical assaults, bomb threats, and online calls for mass casualty attacks. And speaker standstill. We need to get a speaker as soon as possible so we can get to work for the American people. Hello, I'm Linda Kenyon in Washington, along with CBS's Stacey Lynn. It's been two weeks since Hamas launched a deadly attack on Israel, killing thousands and holding others hostage. There's now word they have released two U.S. hostages, a mother and a daughter. In a rare primetime address from the Oval Office, President Biden addressed the nation. CBS's Ed O'Keefe is at the White House. The president tied together the conflict in Ukraine and the conflict in the Middle East, arguing sustained U.S. engagement now could mean less American bloodshed later. Let me share with you why making sure Israel and Ukraine succeed is vital for America's national security. President Biden, in a rare Oval Office primetime address, laid out the stakes for Americans, and he has some convincing to do. As new CBS polling finds, more than half of Americans disapprove of how the president's handling the Israel-Hamas conflict. And notably, a third of Democrats disapprove, which creates a challenge as he prepares to ask to spend billions more to defend Israel and Ukraine. Hamas and Putin represent different threats, but they share this in common. They both want to completely annihilate a neighboring democracy. And while Russia's invasion of Ukraine stretches into nearly its 20th month, the president gave some of his most expansive comments yet, justifying continued U.S. support. If we walk away and let Putin erase Ukraine's independence, would-be aggressors around the world be emboldened to try the same? Mr. Biden is set to ask Congress for roughly $100 billion in emergency spending over the next year. It includes $60 billion to support Ukraine, around $14 billion for Israel, and the rest would support Indo-Pacific countries, including Taiwan against Chinese aggression, plus billions more for U.S. border security and disaster relief. It's a smart investment that's going to pay dividends for American security for generations. The speech comes as overall, Americans strongly support sending humanitarian aid to Israelis and Palestinians and in using diplomacy to try to end the conflict. I caution the government of Israel not to be blinded by rage. The president also denounced attacks on innocent Palestinians abroad and here at home, recalling the brutal murder this week of a six-year-old Muslim boy from the Chicago area. Officials say the Palestinian-American was stabbed to death by his family's landlord in a hate crime attack. And to all you hurting, those of you hurting, I want you to know I see you. You belong. And I want to say this to you. You're all America. And he reiterated, 
dual global conflicts are a direct threat even worlds away. American leadership is what holds the world together. American alliances will keep us, America, safe. As airstrikes continue and the humanitarian crisis intensifies, there are more signs Israel is preparing for a ground offensive in Gaza. MTS Tayyab is in the West Bank city of Ramallah. Tens of thousands of Israeli forces are massing along the border with Gaza. As a senior Israeli military leader tells soldiers they would soon, quote, see Gaza from the inside. Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu met with soldiers close to the front lines, asking if they were ready. On the streets of Tel Aviv. We need support. I love the American support. While in Ramallah, in the Israeli-occupied West Bank, which has been the scene of major protests and where Palestinian authorities say over 70 Palestinians have been killed in confrontations with Israeli forces and armed Jewish settlers since the Hamas attack, anger is only growing. I'm angry, but what we can do, so we just can pray for them to be safe. We feel that Uh, President Biden is taking um, a one side, the ones who have the force, they have the power, they have the weapons, they have everything. I feel like President Biden is just siding with Israel. Fears the already enormous death toll across the narrow Palestinian territory will skyrocket are only growing. The Palestinian Ministry of Health says nearly 4,000 have been killed, including around 1,500 children. At this hospital in the southern city of Khan Yunis, a little girl cries out for her mother. A deal stuck by President Biden between Israel and Egypt to allow 20 trucks of humanitarian aid into Gaza remains in limbo, as repairs to the southern border continue following repeated Israeli strikes. Israel has cut off all supplies of food, water, fuel and electricity following Hamas's attack. The lack of the most basic necessities has made life even more of a misery for the over 2 million Palestinians who remain trapped in the spiraling violence. Tensions in the Middle East not only prompted a rare global travel alert from the State Department, but there are also warnings here in the U.S. about potential threats. CBS's Catherine Herridge has details. A new federal law enforcement bulletin obtained by CBS News warns individuals or so-called lone offenders inspired by or reacting to the ongoing Israel-Hamas conflict pose the most likely threat to Americans. There are, have been a significant increase in reported threats all across the country. Attorney General Merrick Garland saying today the increased threats target Jewish, Muslim and Arab communities. The intelligence bulletin details reports of physical assaults, bomb threats and online calls for mass casualty attacks. With metal barricades again securing the U.S. Capitol and armed security at places of worship, A separate alert from New York City police identifies an uptick in violent neo-Nazi messaging online and finds foreign terrorists like al-Qaeda are calling on followers to attack Americans and Western Europeans. Javed Ali is a former counterterrorism official. Can Homeland Security stop the violence from coming here? Homeland Security is in an excellent position to try and prevent any foreign directed threat from entering the United States. But... Unfortunately, you can never have 100% security in these kind of moments. Meanwhile, prayer vigils have been held all across the country, people comforting each other during this difficult time. Reporter Andrea Nakano is with CBS San Francisco. The names of those that have lost their lives in the war were read at this outdoor vigil in San Francisco. People stood with a candle in one hand and a flower in the other. To take a break from all of the contention and the chaos to be here 
um, to really center the people who've lost their lives feels really important. Lala Wu and her family have been deeply impacted by the conflict. They are constantly worried about their family members in Israel and welcome the help the president is offering. I think it's really important that the U.S. stand up for what is right and sometimes it's not always super clear what that is. Many, though, fear most of the aid will come in the form of weapons. I mean, just more money for arms. You know, I, the, the arms have to be people holding arms with each other, throwing away the arms and joining together. That's what I want to see. It's very hard to know what the right thing is. The only thing I think is that killing each other is not the right thing. Coming up, the president is trying to get more money to help Israel, but nothing is moving on Capitol Hill. We can't open the House until we get a speaker. That's next on the CBS News Weekend Roundup. This episode is brought in part to you by Audible, your go-to destination for thrilling audio entertainment. Whether you're looking for a hair-raising experience to enjoy while you're on the move or eager to dive into sinister and shocking tales, Audible has an exclusive collection of thrillers from best-selling authors that will keep you on the edge of your seat. Like James Patterson's first audio-only thriller, The Coldest Case. Experience stories like never before, where every chilling detail is brought to life by captivating sound design. Plus, as an Audible member, choose one title a month to make yours forever. And now, new members can try Audible free for 30 days. Just visit audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. That's audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. Welcome back to the CBS News Weekend Roundup. I'm Linda Kenyon. Another round of voting for a new House Speaker and Congressman Jim Jordan loses again. So now Republicans say he's out. CBS's Scott McFarlane is on Capitol Hill with details on what happened when he tried again. This is like political quicksand for Jim Jordan. Not only did he suffer the same 22 defections he had in the second ballot, same 20 he had on the first ballot, but add three more names to the defectors list. Three Republicans from the Northeast, all of whom are in particularly moderate districts. Mark Molinaro of New York, Tom Kane of New Jersey, and Brian Fitzpatrick of suburban Philadelphia all joined the list of Republicans voting for somebody else besides Jim Jordan. A new nominee is expected to be announced next week. On to big news in the Georgia election interference case. A former Trump lawyer has pleaded guilty to six charges, all misdemeanors. Legal expert Lori Levinson says this is a big win for Fulton County DA Fonnie Willis. This week, the prosecutors had everything going their way and getting pleas both from Sidney Powell and now from Ken Chesborough in the case that involves former President Donald Trump. Both of these individuals who were lawyers who worked closely with Donald Trump have pled guilty, and Ken Jesbro pled guilty to putting together false documents in the Georgia election interference case. This is important for two reasons. One, it means that the prosecutors don't have to preview their case in this early trial against just one of the defendants in this multi-defendant case. Instead, they can leave the other defendants who haven't pled guilty wondering what their evidence will show. More importantly, it means that Ken Chesbro who actually was a president's lawyer, is on record 
saying that he was involved in sending false slates of presidential electors to Congress, which is part of the heart of the Georgia case. Now to a crime case that has gripped the nation for years, a bombshell confession in the 2005 murder of Natalie Holloway. The longtime suspect, Joran Vandersloot, has admitted to how he killed her, and it's chilling. Our Janet Chamlian was at the courthouse in Birmingham, Alabama. It was very emotional. The courtroom was packed. It was filled with family members and high school friends of Natalie's who are now in their mid-30s, and many of them were in tears. As Beth Holloway described how Natalie would likely be a mother now, and that would make Beth a grandmother. We also learned the details of how Natalie died. Those details are disturbing. Yaron Vandersloot is no longer the suspect in my daughter's murder. He is the killer. Finally, for Beth Holloway, the desperate search for answers is over. The never-ending nightmare is over. And to me, that's better than closure. Yoren Vandersloot told authorities he killed 18-year-old Natalie Holloway on an Aruba beach after she kneed him in the groin and refused to have sex. In horrific detail, he described smashing her head with a cinder block and dragging her body into the water. She was killed just by standing her ground. But you didn't know that before. No, I hadn't had body know anything. She fought for her life. She did, she did. And I was so proud of her. The account, part of a plea deal after Vandersloat was indicted for extortion and fraud after he demanded $250,000 from Beth Holloway in exchange for details about what happened. In a courtroom filled with family and Natalie's friends, Beth Holloway said, Natalie would be 36 years old now. She would be married, have children, my grandchildren. But you destroyed all this when you bludgeoned her to death. Do you have peace? Yes, I do. I have peace. It was felt very victorious, too. It did. Yeah, yeah. Plea bargains don't necessarily make everyone happy. CBS News legal analyst Ricky Kleeman says this type of plea deal is rare. But in this case, you have a mother who, under the circumstances, feels that this plea bargain was in the best interest of justice. Vandersloat was sentenced to the 20-year maximum, but will serve it in Peru at the same time he serves a sentence for the murder of a young woman there. Was it worth the trade-off that you made to get that information? I don't even think it was a trade-off. I don't think it was. I fought like hell in 2005 to keep him in jail. and So you know what? I did what I was supposed to do. I'm a mother. I'm not the law enforcement in Aruba. The strength of that woman. Vandersloat's account was subject to a polygraph test and investigation. When I sat down with Beth yesterday, she's very composed. And she did say that she believes absolutely what he said this time is finally the truth. If you have a teenager who drives, you know how nerve-wracking that is with them out on the road. Crashes with young drivers are common, but new data show signs of improvement. The study from the Governor's Highway Safety Association found fatal accidents involving drivers under 21 dropped 38 percent from 2002 to 2021. At the same time, deadly crashes among drivers 21 and older rose 8 percent. Pam Shadle Fisher authored the report. We are absolutely encouraged by it, and we think we've been doing the right things to get there. Many states now have graduated driver's license laws. They restrict teens from driving at certain times alone, like late at night. They also can limit how many other young people are in the car without an adult. Some laws ban teens from using electronic devices while driving, even hands-free. 
Another possible factor, many teens are waiting to get a license. I really was not interested in driving. I didn't really enjoy the idea of it. The goal we're trying to get to is zero, plain and simple. We don't want any young person to be injured or killed in a crash. Fisher believes more driving education programs and an expansion of graduated licenses can put young people on the road to fewer traffic deaths. Danya Backus, CBS News, Los Angeles. And ladies, if you drink, you're at an increased risk of getting breast cancer. Here's CBS's Natalie Brand. Jessica Budkara is living with metastatic breast cancer. I would be lying to say that it's not something that you don't think about constantly. Her first diagnosis came at age 37. Nearly four years later, she learned it had spread. I started reevaluating any negative kind of vices that all of us have. That includes alcohol, a known risk factor for cancer. There are hundreds of studies that show there's a direct association between consumption of alcohol and breast cancer risk. Dr. Cynthia Zano, a breast cancer survivor herself and researcher at Johns Hopkins, is trying to dig into why. We're looking at how the alcohol alters our DNA. And the reason we're doing that is we'd like to know who's at risk. The American Cancer Society says women who have one alcoholic drink a day have a 7 to 10 percent increase in risk, up to three drinks a day, 20 percent higher risk. And while cancer prevention guidelines say it's best not to drink alcohol, it's recommended women limit their intake to no more than one drink a day. Up next, you may think it's time to retire. But you won't like to hear this. One of the best defenses against an uncertain future is to work longer. CBS's Stacey Lynn has that next on the Weekend Roundup. Welcome back to the CBS News Weekend Roundup. I'm Stacey Lynn. You ready to retire? Starting in January, Social Security recipients will be getting a boost in their checks, but the increase is smaller than past years. So what does this mean for your dreams of taking this job and shoving it and playing golf all day? Here's business analyst Jill Schlesinger. Social Security's annual cost of living adjustment is based on inflation. And with inflation now under 4%, next year's increase is going to be 3.2% an average of about $50 a month. That's far less than the last two increases when inflation was much higher. For those who are nearing retirement, one of the best defenses against an uncertain future, one that could see inflation rise or markets tumble at the wrong time, is to work longer, even if it is just a few years or part-time. Not only does this allow your nest egg more time to grow, It also means that you might be able to wait to claim your Social Security benefit. The current maximum monthly payment at full retirement age is a little over $3,600. But at age 70, it would be more than $4,500. Maybe you can take on a part-time gig. There's a whole lot of people doing them, but as the cost of living has gone up, their average earnings have gone down. Reporter Derek James is with CBS Minnesota. Since getting laid off from his IT job four months ago, John Quentin has been turning his passion into profit. Wedding photography has been the main focus. I've been doing that full time and it's been working so far, but as the weather gets colder, I need to get something that will be a little bit more like that works around the years. 
While many of his peers have turned to app-based gig work, he's avoided it. I feel like it's too short-term focused. Like you want something that's more sustainable that you can, you know, you want to set up retirement, you want to have benefits, stuff like that. And Uber or Lyft, I don't think is going to do that for anyone. Not only that, but as more and more Minnesotans turn to side hustles, they're earning less. In 2020, reported gig work earnings in the Twin Cities Metro were a little more than $17,800 a year. In 2022, they were about $10,500, a 41% drop. It's unsustainable, and it's put those people that heavily relied on the apps in a lot of pain. Agents only COO Tyler Ashby says it's because of the added competition and the unlimited number of gig workers on apps like Uber and Grubhub. So they're not going to look at Minneapolis and say, hey, we're oversaturated. They're just going to say, hey, we're getting our drivers or we're getting our, our passengers picked up faster. As employers cut labor costs and have the flexibility to staff up and down, demand for skilled contract workers has increased. If someone really wants to make it in gig, they either need to have a good, stable full-time job that's providing their benefits and gig is really just auxiliary adding work-life balance adding adding revenue opportunity or they need to develop more valuable gig skills marcom founder and ceo joe foley has worked in the recruiting of skilled labor for 30 years i just see it getting better and better to be honest with you as somebody that does it on a day-to-day basis i'm not finding any shortage of people that are out there and people that are doing well um and, and like their flexibility. Foley says companies no longer look down on potential employees who've been doing contract or freelance work, and employees are more open to it than they've ever been. And I'm finding that people are lowering their risk tolerance quite a bit because it's making them happy and they get to, to do whatever they'd like to do. For Quentin, he's hoping to earn enough to continue to work for himself. And if that doesn't work out in like the next few months, I'll just go back to IT. You could work for Amazon. They have plans to hire about 250,000 people in the U.S. for the upcoming holiday shopping season. But they are using more robots to do jobs as well. The e-commerce giant is rolling out a new robotic system powered by artificial intelligence at its warehouses, according to the Wall Street Journal. Amazon's AI-powered technology is called Sequoia, and the company says it could speed up stocking and delivery times, with order fulfillment times up to 25% faster. The report says Amazon employees are expected to work alongside the robots, which Amazon says could result in fewer on-the-job injuries for workers. Business reporter Jason Brooks also tells us Amazon is testing using drones to make prescription drug deliveries. Customers now in College Station, Texas, can get theirs delivered by a drone within an hour. The drone is programmed to fly from a delivery center with a secure pharmacy to the customer's address and drop a padded package from about 13 feet above. Meanwhile, Elon Musk is testing out a program to charge some ex-users in New Zealand and the Philippines a dollar to use the social media service. Tech contributor Ian Schur has details. There are many ways Elon Musk has changed this company since taking it over last year. But probably the most dramatic will be that he isn't going to allow people to use it for free anymore. This is a dramatic reversal from what Twitter has positioned itself as since the beginning. A digital town square where everyone can have a voice that's given fuel to impactful social movements, including the Arab Spring, Me Too, and the Black Lives Matter movement. Of course, many people will be able to pay for this. That isn't the point. 
The question is whether or not we are all going to be okay with an effective tax on an important part of the internet that this company unilaterally decided to impose on supposedly hundreds of millions of people. You ever use an e-scooter or e-bike to get around? They're convenient and they're fun, but a new report shows they're also dangerous. They're everywhere. From city streets to the suburbs, people of all ages are zipping around on e-scooters and e-bikes. The neighborhood has gotten really congested, so um, yeah, people just need to slow down. And injuries associated with these so-called micro-mobility devices are soaring. A new report from the Consumer Product Safety Commission shows a nearly 21% increase from 2021 to 2022. In particular, e-scooters had the highest increase in injuries and accounted for nearly half of the micro-mobility deaths. Additionally, nearly half of all estimated e-bike injuries from 2017 to 2022 uh, occurred in 2022 alone. Children 14 years and younger account for a significant number of injuries. Overall, fractures and contusions or abrasions are the two most common injuries. At least 233 people have been killed over the last five years. 19 deaths are related to fires, another hazard with these devices. Collisions with vehicles and simply controlling the e-devices are the leading causes of injuries. Riders are urged to slow down and stay aware of their surroundings. Also, do not make abrupt, unpredictable movements. Consumers should always wear the helmet and they should check the device for proper function. Sam Toa made the switch to an e-bike because he says it's easier on his knees. How do you keep yourself safe? I keep my eyes open. I wear a helmet and I stop when I'm supposed to. He hopes more riders follow the rules and take every precaution to keep themselves and others safe. Naomi Ruckham, CBS News, New York. Coming up on this week's Kaleidoscope, her last-minute decision to not go to the music festival where Hamas attacked saved her life, but not several of her friends. We know by now that they are dead, but we don't know what happened to them, where's their bodies, if they're at their bodies in Israel or in Gaza. That's coming up next on the CBS News Weekend Roundup. on the CBS News Weekend Roundup. I'm Stacey Lynn, and it's time for the Kaleidoscope. 26-year-old Hannah Yarrow is from Virginia. She's lived in Israel for eight years. She was on a kibbutz, learned Hebrew, and then decided to join the army. After her two years were up, she went back to school to study interior design. On the side, she's a photographer who takes pictures at festivals. She was supposed to attend the Nova Festival on October 7th, the day Hamas attacked. But she didn't feel well that morning and decided not to go. Hannah told me how her day unfolded. It was Saturday morning, the big 5.45, I woke up, there was rockets. And it was just like out of the blue because we haven't had any in a while. So it was like very just kind of like, oh, like what's going on now? It's like usually like there'd be rockets and I would just like, be like, oh yeah, there's a rocket. Like it's just kind of something I get used to. And then about like 30 minutes after that, I get a call from my ex-boyfriend who attended the party. Like he just called and like did what didn't say anything. All I heard was just like, people screaming and then gunshots but it was just so early on we didn't realize how insane it was there and like how intense it was and really only just like through my friends that were literally there the ones that I was able to talk to I I realized like what was going on and I was just like at home I felt really helpless during all this time there's hundreds of rockets going off all of a sudden like went from like zero to ten in the amount of intensity seeing like what what happened in the kibbutz and what happened in Ashkel and like just like 
terrorists running through the streets. It was just like very shocking. Just like it wasn't just 10 like terrorists that came into Israel. It was like hundreds. The first day was just trying to connect all the pieces to what was going on. Hannah, tell me about your friends who are at the festival. Do you know if they're safe? I have a lot of friends that didn't make it out. I mean, just today there were two funerals for, for my good friends. And I mean, you know, like one one video that went through all the internet, um, a girl, Noah, that she, she got captured and my friend like sent it to me and she was like, is this her? And I was like, no, that can't be. And then like soon after we seen the news that like she was captured, like and taken into Gaza. It must be so terribly hard, but are there friends that you haven't heard from yet? We know by now that they are dead, but we don't know what happened to them. Where's their bodies? If they're their bodies in Israel or in Gaza, we just like don't know the status of it. So you're just kind of waiting to see, like, am I going to see like one of my friends as a hostage? Or am I going to find out that, you know, they found their body? It's just kind of like a waiting game at this point, like trying to wait and hear what happens, like what's what's going on with the ones we haven't heard from. Mm. So what are you doing now? What is everyday life like for you? You mentioned funerals, but what else? The first week I didn't leave my house once. I was just very paranoid. You just like felt like something at any moment, moment could happen. Um, so I just stayed in. This week I tried starting going out. Like there have been funerals. Like today there was a funeral and there were the rockets that went off during the funeral. You know, you're trying to manage and like be there for, you know, the families and the people. But at the same time, you you know, you, you remember that there's a war most things are closed just the air just like the the energy outside it's like very dead everyone like i promise you not there's not one person in israel that does not know someone that was killed it's just insane to like comprehend and like to be in this like place right now where a whole country is mourning a whole country and it's it's really hard to be able to grasp that it's hard it's 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 just it's something i've never experienced and i really hope I'll never have to experience again. And I understand you've been called to serve. Yeah. So right now I'm on standby. Um, so I just have a bag ready. Like um, when they tell me I need to go, you're put where you're needed, but I don't know where I would be put. I don't know for how long. So there's just like an insane amount of people coming to volunteer. And then just like really the people that aren't in reserves are volunteering. I mean, there's like every restaurant is now making food for soldiers. Do you feel fearful? Are you scared? How do you feel? It's not fear. Like I'm not, I'm definitely not fearful anymore. I'm like, I, I, I'm alive. You don't really know what's going to happen every day. And, and I think living in fear is the last thing I can do. For me, being an American Israeli, it's very hard seeing like um, people back home, you know, not, not understanding or not seeing both sides of the story and, um, you know, just posting very hurtful things. Just like you have to remember to keep your your hopes up and keep telling yourself that like, I know what the full story is. And that's what's keeping my hopes up is just kind of like reminding myself that. Ben is Hannah's brother who lives in the D.C. area. And Ben, this must be so hard for your family to be watching all of this and feeling so helpless with Hannah so far away. I am so thankful that Hannah is okay, And but I also know that there is an immense level of of trauma that she's going to have to deal with, that her friends are going to have to deal with and, and that the country will have to deal with because of these attacks. And I'm so sad that that she's going to have to to deal with this. And I, I know that my sister is, you know, an incredibly strong person, but it's not something that I think that anyone should have to go through. And how did you first find out what was going on on that day? I woke up to a video from Hannah of Hamas driving a truck through Ashkelon. You know, they're just shooting at cars that are driving by. And Hannah was like, this is in Israel right now. And, and 
I just, I didn't believe her. I had just never seen anything like that in, in my entire life. And so I would say the first couple of days was me just not believing it. Um, and then obviously, you know, you go on, on, on Twitter, or social media, whatever, and, and then you start to see these videos. And, um, you know, these are, are kibbutzes that my sister has been to. You know, this is a festival that Hannah was one decision away from from being at that, that a lot of Hannah's friends ended up going to. I couldn't think I couldn't like, I didn't want to do anything. I just like sat on the couch and just like sat. So sitting there on the couch, I understand you had this, this yearning, this need to do something, anything to help. My wife and I, Allie, uh, we had been getting messages on how can we help, you know, support Hannah? How can we help support Israel? And so we decided to set up a GoFundMe that we would send donations to four different organizations. And these organizations ranged from like providing like supplies to those who, you know, were on the kibbutzes who um, were attacked all the way to like long-term like mental health and, and like PTSD support. And so, you know, we sent this out to our immediate friends and family and the word kind of spread. Our initial goal was $10,000 and we ended up raising over, I think, $21,000 for these four organizations we had to do something, you know, being so far away. And, and this was one of the, the few things that we were able to do to help support not only my sister, but, you know, a country that's that's reeling from a devastating attack. I want to wrap up with you, Hannah. Do you have a message for people that are watching all of this unfold from afar? Just think it's like really important to really understand both sides. You know, just as much as I'm suffering, there's suffering going on on the other side. The mentality is to be against Israel, and it really just needs to be against Hamas. And everyone that lives here in Israel, all we want is peace. We feel what the people, like, you know, people from Gaza are feeling, the Palestinians are feeling. All they want is also peace. And try to take these stories of people from both sides and, and just, like, you know, have a little bit of, like, love for humanity and understand like it's a very complex situation and 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 i wish that also for the palestinians having just some love for both sides honestly coming up some old-time toys my little pony my little pony are getting a second chance getting into the toy hall of fame that's next on the cbs news weekend roundup CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. On the CBS News Weekend Roundup. I'm Stacy Lynn. Some classic toys are getting a second chance. They've been finalists before for the National Toy Hall of Fame, but did not get selected. The Transformers War is here. Transformers, Pez Dispensers. My Little Pony, My Little Pony. My Little Pony, the Fisher-Price Corn Popper, and the Pogo Stick. Is Pogo Sticking a fun sport? Maybe not for Bullwinkle, but fans can vote on those toys that have come close but have not made the haul in Rochester, New York. The winner, along with other inductees, will be announced next month. Steve Kathan, CBS News. Well, that's for the kids. For you grown-ups, you feel like traveling the world and finding the best cocktails around? A bar in Barcelona has been named the world's best bar. 
The world's 50 Best Bars Academy awarded the title to the cocktail bar, Sips. The organization praised the bar's emphasis on serious cocktails served in unserious forms, like the Primordial Cocktail, which is a 12-year-old scotch, port, and nashi pear served in a metal cast of two hands rather than a glass. This is the second year in a row that a Barcelona bar has earned the title. Last year, it was Paradiso, a speakeasy cocktail bar that you enter through a pastrami shop's fridge door. It felt to number four this year, below New York's Double Chicken Please and Mexico City's Handshake Speakeasy. And when you hit up those bars, you may have a raging hangover the next day and hit the snooze button over and over again. Our Christian Benavides tells us that's not such a bad thing. It appears those who snooze, in fact, do not lose. That's according to a new Swedish study that looked at adults who use intermittent alarms to get in a few more minutes of sleep in the morning. The data shows some participants who were able to snooze for 30 minutes or more had improved cognitive tests compared to those who woke up abruptly. But we should point out, while snoozing may have some benefits for the snoozer, it's likely an annoying habit for any non-snoozing partner. Yes, I fully attest to that. All right, move over, Carolina Reaper. There is a new hotter pepper in town. A suffering unbelievably. I couldn't move. Not quite the sales pitch one would expect to hear when looking to try a new product. More of a dire warning from a self-proclaimed mad scientist. It is brutal and it is painful. Ed Curry is the founder of the Puckerbutt Pepper Company in Fort Mill. He came up with the Carolina Reaper and now Pepper X. What he does makes his business truly live up to its name. Hottest pepper in the world at 2.693 million Scoville heat units. Scoville heat units are how heat in peppers is measured. Curry even has the hardware to prove the heat, grabbing the Guinness Book of World Records for the hottest pepper on the planet. Women handle it a lot better than men. Men think they're dying. Women are like, oh, yeah. Curry bioengineers new pepper seeds until he perfects the recipe. In this case, it took him 13 years to create what he's calling Pepper X. And the secrecy around it has everybody on high alert. Because there are so many people and companies out there trying to steal what this little pepper can do, the actual growing process is kept under lock and key. I can't even show you where this farm is. Ron Edwards is a farmer here and tells me they've caught plenty of people snooping around trying to get the secret of Pepper X. It's really a big deal, bigger than I ever thought it would be. Curry says the secret is really about cross-pollination, finding out what works and what doesn't. They've gotten a lot hotter since we started. But for those who think they can handle the heat of the raw pepper, a warning from somebody who knows firsthand. And I don't recommend that anybody try this. <laughs> we'll definitely pass on that. Not going to pass on Britney Spears' new book, which is coming out on Tuesday. Reliving everything that you're about to hear has been exciting, heart-wrenching, and emotional. This is Britney Spears reading the introduction to her audiobook in a clip given exclusively to CBS News. Spears, who is now 41, started as a young girl from Kentwood, Louisiana, who loved to sing, and then... In 1998, this song launched Spears into international stardom. She was 16. Sometimes I run, sometimes I hide. By 18, the princess of pop seemed to have found her prince in Justin Timberlake. Bye, bye, bye. The NSYNC heartthrob and Spears had known one another since childhood. 
singing together on the Mickey Mouse Club. Their relationship caused a sensation. However, in her new memoir, The Woman and Me, Spears says their high-profile romance wasn't what it seemed. Hey, what's up, man? Spears says she knew Timberlake had cheated on her, but decided to let it go. She also says she became pregnant with Timberlake's baby at one point in their relationship. Spears says Timberlake was unhappy about the surprise pregnancy and thought they were too young to have a child. They decided to terminate the pregnancy. Had it been her choice alone, Spears said, she would not have gone through with the abortion. August Brown is a music reporter at the LA Times. Why do you think Britney's coming forward with this information now? You know, if you kind of recall when she first came to fame in the late 90s, you know, that was a real time when like purity culture and sort of evangelical Christianity was a real force in a lot of American life. You know, she came out of the deep South and that was part of her kind of image. I'm sure that was a really heavy burden for her to carry for much of her life. And it probably took being released from the conservatorship and putting out this memoir for her to kind of have a context for that kind of news. Jamie Yuka, CBS News, Los Angeles. Well, it's almost the end of the road for KISS. It's going to be some tears shed for sure. Frontman Paul Stanley talked to Yahoo Entertainment earlier this year and said after 50 years together, it's getting tougher on the road. We're athletes. We're running around on stage with 30, 40, 50 pounds of gear. And uh, it's just, it's not possible to do it that much longer. Their final planned shows are set for early December in New York City, but Stanley wouldn't say if Kiss is done for good. Monica Ricks, CBS News. How'd you like to spend Turkey Day with Dolly? I'll see y'all this Thanksgiving. Dolly Parton tells CBS she'll perform during the Cowboys Commander's halftime show at AT AT&T Stadium. While she wants to keep the playlist a secret, she will tell us. We're going to do some stuff that everybody can sing along with me on. They'll know the songs I'm doing. Uh, I have about six and a half minutes of show to do. I'm doing definitely one thing from my rock album. In a video for the Salvation Army Kettle kickoff, Dolly bedazzled a helmet, jerseys, and a football with Cowboys cheerleaders. Game time, 4.30 p.m. Eastern, November 23rd. Deborah Rodriguez, CBS News. That is going to do it for the Weekend Roundup. Thank you so much for listening. The show's always online on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, and Spotify. We want to get your feedback, too. Drop us a line at weekendroundup at cbsnews.com and let us know where and how you're listening. The Weekend Roundup is produced at the CBS News Washington Bureau. Sarah Fishman is the technical supervisor. Alan Peng provides production assistance. And Tara Lipinski is the executive producer. I hope you have a great weekend. I'm Stacy Lynn, CBS News. If you like CBS News Roundup, you can listen early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. Prime members can listen ad-free on Amazon Music. Before you go, tell us about yourself by filling out a short survey at wondery.com survey. For more than two centuries, the White House has been the stage for some of the most dramatic scenes in American history. Inspired by the hit podcast American History Tellers, Wondery and William Morrow present the new book, The Hidden History of the White House. Each chapter will bring you inside the fierce power struggles, the world-altering decisions, and shocking scandals that have shaped our nation. You'll be there when the very foundations of the White House are laid in 1792, and you'll watch as the British burn it down in 1814. Then you'll hear the intimate conversations between FDR and Winston Churchill as they make plans to defeat Nazi forces in 1941. 
and you'll be in the Situation Room when President Barack Obama approves the raid to bring down the most infamous terrorist in American history. Pre-order The Hidden History of the White House now in hardcover or digital editions wherever you get your books. Hi, it's Stephen Colbert, and I'm here to tell you about The Late Show Pod Show, which is the podcast of The Late Show with me, Stephen Colbert, and I'm here with my uh, producer of the podcast, Becca. Hi, Becca. Hi, Stephen. And how long have you been the, the producer of this? We've been doing this for two years now. Okay. And and what is it like to attempt to uh, get feedback from me about the podcast? Be honest about how quickly I respond to emails. You actually respond to emails surprisingly fast. Really? I, I think you might be the only person I respond to. <laughs> I respond to quickly. Oh, well, that's good. Yeah. I expected I expected you to lay into me. Well, this was over the strike period. Oh, I had time. Yeah. See, that, that, does, that doesn't count. <laughs> Sure, I responded to everything because responding to you, putting reruns up on the podcast, was like a form of employment. Yeah. I felt like I had something to get up for every yeah. day. So thank you for that. Listen to The Late Show Pod Show with Stephen Colbert wherever you get your podcasts.